The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. For any regular listeners, as you know, we are currently engaged in a series with a verse-by-verse study of the book of 2 Thessalonians. So if you'll open your copy of God's Word to 2 Thessalonians, we will continue where we left off in this series. As you well know, we had left off in chapter 2 where we began in verse 1, a dialogue by Paul to the Thessalonian church wherein he brought up the subject of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together or our rapture unto him. Due to the fact that the Thessalonians were for whatever reason uh, under the impression that the day of Christ, the a rapture had already occurred, and that they had missed it. In verse 2, Paul, as you recall, tells the Thessalonians to not be shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit or word or even by a letter, that the day of Christ or that the rapture had already taken place. And in fact, in verse 3, he 
tells them, well, don't let anyone deceive you by any means, because that day, i.e. the rapture, will not come except and until there comes a falling away, or in this case, the rapture, and then at that point, the man of sin will be revealed, who's the son of perdition. In verse 4, as we pointed out, uh, Paul gives a brief description, a resume, if you will, for the Antichrist, this man of sin, saying that this guy, whoever it is, is one who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple, showing himself that he is God. In verse 5 and 6, Paul tells the Thessalonians that to recall that he had already reminded them of these things previously, but for some reason they were in doubt or had forgotten it. And in verse 6, that they would remember what now withholds, i.e. the church, that he might be revealed in his time. In verse 7, Paul tells the Thessalonians that the mystery of iniquity are, is already at work, only he who now restrains will restrain until he is taken out of the way. In this case, as you recall, the one who restrains is in fact the church who will continue to restrain until that time when the rapture occurs. In verse 8, Paul uh, reminds us that when that Antichrist, the wicked one, is revealed, Ultimately, the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and will destroy with the brightness of his coming, in this case, his second coming. And verse 9, more of the Antichrist resume, who, uh, according to Paul, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all signs and lying wonders. Finally, in verse 10, where we left off, Paul points out that he comes with this attitude of deception and unrighteousness, which only really works in them that perish, the unregenerate, because those that are unregenerate have not received the love of the truth that would lead to salvation. This brings us to verse 11, where we pick up in this episode, where Paul says, quote, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, quote. In this case, the word send means to bid a thing to be carried from one to the other. Strong, energia, it means this efficient working in whatever manner. Delusion, plane, a wandering, a straying about or error. So this delusion that he's speaking of, this theological principle, is the same as given in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, and verse 26. As you'll recall in Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul there is saying, quote, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves and gave them up to, in the original, paradidomai, to give into the hands of another. Verse 26, 
For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Again, paradidomai. In all cases, as is the Reformed theology, God is not orchestrating or authoring the confusion, because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, quote, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So, in order to reconcile these two ideas where Clearly, in one case, God is not the author of confusion. And here in 2 Thessalonians verse 11, where it says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. We are trying to find a reconciliation between the two, which to the natural mind, to some degree, sounds like a contradiction. But in fact, they are not. So how do we resolve the two? Well, from the Reformed perspective, confusion, delusion, rebellion, and error, as you will recall, are the general state uh, and nature of all unregenerate man due to the fall. We remain in that state until such time as God, to, God is pleased to draw us to a saving knowledge of Christ and to thereafter embark on sanctification and a progressive understanding of God, as well as an ongoing confirmation and transformation into the image and nature of Christ. As part of the process of transformation or sanctification, God uh, gives us his indwelling Holy Spirit, which gives us discernment and understanding of the things of God. So, consequently, all that is required is that God uses his sovereign will to show his mercy and love and grace to choose some and to show his justice, righteousness, and holiness to pass over others. Neither group justly deserves anything other than hell. So you ask, where does this confusion and delusion come from that are being discussed in these verses, and who is the cause of it? Well, the confusion and the delusion is there all along. It's there at the outset as a result, as I stated, as uh, from our natural state of sin, rebellion, and so forth. Now, as God sovereignly chooses to pass over those who he has not elected due to his justice, righteousness, and holiness... Uh, that group, progressively, like water, will seek its lowest level and, due to that gravity, will matriculate down to uh, the absolute lowest level where sin will reside. So the ultimate end to that group is that at the end of the process, they get to that point where they believe and actually prefer a lie to the truth because the lie will allow them to 
be able to reside in that area of their mind where they're able to do whatever is right in their own eyes and not feel any kind of conviction which would be at odds with their ability to pursue the things that are according to their old nature. But there is ultimately a truth, conversely, on the other side of the fence that is in opposition to the lie. The reality is that the truth that we're talking about cannot be received and understood and discerned other than by God's sovereign act of electing us and revealing it to our hearts and minds according to his mercy, love, grace, and peace, and so forth. Verse 12, that they might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. So ultimately, what we see is that the miracle is that God chooses to save any. None of us deserve salvation. All of us deserve our just rewards according to our choice to rebel against God and to rebel against his covering grace and to rather choose uh, the lie that Satan gave us in the garden that we, by, according to our own merits, can be like God. Because God is gracious and loving and kind, despite the fact that all have sinned, he in his sovereign grace, love, and mercy chooses some out of that damnation to elect to the adoption of sons and daughters of God. We receive that as a gift from God with empty hands because of God's righteousness, holiness, and justice, the remaining group, who by reason of their choice to rebel against God, remain in their damnation, and justly so, because of their choice. Verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, because of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Here, the Greek word and translated bound, ophelio, means to owe money, to be in debt for. The word translated beginning, arche is used absolutely of the beginning of all things. So, it is clear that both theologically and grammatically that the quote-unquote beginning, which Paul is referring to, can only be the foundation of the world, and that we are thinking about God's sovereign election. The quote-unquote beginning can, cannot be the moment of salvation when we come into a relationship with Christ. And the reason for that lies in the grammatical sentence context itself. According to those who advocate that the idea of man's free will is the quote choosing mechanism unquote behind salvation, Choosing God, choosing Christ, choosing to repent, choosing to be saved, i.e. salvation, 
is an event triggered by each person's free will under that theory. Further, those in this camp will also admit that God has the desire that everyone be saved, and to that end he makes every attempt he can, including sending preachers, teachers, family, friends, and circumstances into every person's lives to quote-unquote fairly give each person an opportunity to be saved. But in the end, it's according to that theory, our individual free will gives us the ability to choose either which way we want to go. But here in the above verse, Paul states that God has already chosen the Thessalonians to salvation. Well, this raises the logical question as to whose will is ultimately sovereign in making the choice to salvation. If it is man's free will which is sovereign, we have several resultant problems. One, if man's free will gives him sovereignty over salvation, then logically to the same degree, God cannot at the same time be sovereign regarding salvation. Two, if man is ultimately the one choosing salvation, then we would be thanking ourselves and our own intelligence, our intuition, etc., for choosing salvation instead of thanking God for choosing us to salvation like the Thessalonians are. Three, if man can use his free will to be saved then man can also use the same free will to reject salvation even after he has chosen to accept salvation. So free will then is essentially a lifetime money-back return guarantee and God has nothing to say about it during our lives. 4. If it is man using his free will to choose salvation then the context of the thanks which Paul says is owed as a debt is misplaced. The reason is that Paul says that we are in debt and owe thanks to God always because why? Well, God has from the beginning chosen us to salvation. You say, aha, there's more. Don't stop. It says God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Yes, that's true. The Holy Spirit is the mechanism by which God works in and through us to draw, convict, indwell, sanctify, and seal us. It is also clear that our belief, our trust, our faith in Christ is required axiomatically. But the fact remains that God is the one choosing us to salvation through the Holy Spirit, giving us the ability and discernment to believe, to trust, and to have faith in Christ. This is why we have the debt and owe God and not ourselves the thanks that Paul is talking about.
Now, some have theorized that God simply looks down the corridor of time from beginning to the end, whenever the end and beginning are, and from his eternal perspective, he can see who ultimately will use their free will to choose him and who won't. And in this scenario, this is how supposedly God knows from the beginning who is saved. But again, this problem still remains the same. We still cannot say that God is making that choice. It is still that person using their own free will to make the choice, and all of the above problems still exist. The problem for free will is that no matter where one places the beginning, God is still the one who is using his sovereign will to choose and not man. Verse 14, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all we who God has called to salvation forever owe a debt of thanks and praise to God for our salvation. Our salvation is complete and secure from his elect calling all the way through glorification by his power, grace, and even the faith in the truth which he gives us. This is the message of Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, as well as others. Verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Stand fast in the original means to absolutely to persevere in godliness, behavior, or thinking. What is delivered, meaning the substance of the teaching which was given. So, in every age, including the one that the Thessalonians were in, the church is constantly confronted with heresy, error, and delusion, both from within and without. It is folly and malpractice to become complacent or to assume that Satan will not use every possible technique to damage or destroy the church. Since God is omniscient, we may conclude that he foresaw this and built sufficient doctrine, theology, teaching, admonishment, and information into his word to act as a blueprint to determine whether or not any given person or a church is in fact fellowshipping and worshipping God in truth and spirit. Well, if that's the case, then our job is simply to stand fast and to persevere in the purity of the faith delivered to the church from God once and for all. In other words, don't allow ourselves to be tricked or duped into believing new or different messages simply because of societal, political, or cultural pressures. 
Don't allow fame, fortune, finance, or popularity motivate us to substitute the message of the gospel for marketing schemes or for humanistic social constructs. Stand fast. Verse 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Here we have a reminder from Paul that it is our Lord Jesus Christ himself, i.e. God, who is even God the Father, which has always loved us if in fact we are the ones who are his elect and he has called us. If that's the case, then he has given us everlasting consolation, good hope, through grace. Everlasting being without end, without beginning, without beginning or end, that which has always been and always will be, in keeping with the nature of God, I am, of the burning bush, who was, is, and forever will be. He is eternal time without end. Consolation, paraclesis, another form of the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Hope, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Verse 17, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Again, comfort, paracleo to call to one side, to exhort, to comfort, and to encourage. Establish, to make stable, to place firmly, set fast, fix, to strengthen, to render constant, to confirm one's mind. Here, in the closing verse of chapter 2, Paul exemplifies the role and purpose of every believer in their relationship and fellowship with other believers. To the extent that God gives us ability, we are to come alongside other believers and encourage, comfort, exhort, console, share hope, pray, and share resources in the same way as God himself and others come alongside us. Jointly and corporately, God uses the gifts and joint strength of the body via his Holy Spirit to sanctify his church individually and corporately into the image of his Son in whom he is well pleased. This concludes chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. This also concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com Thank you for listening.
smile.